All right. Well, hey, uh, my name's my name's Tad Anderson. It's it's my birthday today, so um, that's the first announcement. I didn't know I was making, but uh, it's kind of hard not to now. So um, yeah, thanks to whoever. Um, you know, these balloons are not all the way filled up. Uh, if you watch The Office, you know why. So all right, let me. Uh, wow, let me just gather myself here. So. Uh, we do have a few announcements before we get to uh, the word announcements that I knew I was going to give here. So uh, the first one is, uh, as Amy mentioned, our family business meeting, uh, our mid-year um, meeting. It's going to be next Sunday, the 27th, directly after service. There is childcare provided for birth through second grade, uh, and lunch for all will be provided as well. We're going to discuss how we're doing this year so far uh, and our, our plans as we finish up the second half of 2023. We'll review our current financial statements as well as uh, other things that we're tracking in conjunction with our five-year goals. And uh, we do have a ton to celebrate this year. So um, <clears throat> if you're a member, obviously we expect to uh, see you there. Uh, but again, as my, my wife mentioned in the welcome, uh, if you're not yet a member of the Hub City Church, but you would like to know more about us and uh, our vision and you want to see uh, financial documents and all those things. I mean, I, I would want to see that if I was going to join a church. I'd want to see how they spend their money. So um, you're welcome to come join us for that. We are totally transparent about all those things, and you can ask any questions that you might uh, have there, okay? So that, again, that's next Sunday, right after the service. Um, <clears throat> the second thing is uh, fall schedule. So uh, summer, our summer schedule is coming to a close. I know it doesn't feel like summer is coming to a close yet, but uh, fall is up next, and we do have a lot of good stuff playing together. Community groups are restarting. Um, we have fellowships and, and outreaches, all that you would expect. We, we do try to do um, one, about one um, church-wide or corporate fellowship or something, um, uh, one a month, because uh, we love community groups, we love men's and women's ministries and all these things, but this church, we just love to be together uh, and, and do things together as the whole body, and so that's why we do that. And so um, if you want to look on social media or our app, you should be able to see that fall schedule there, uh, so make plans to join us. As we get closer to each event, we will have more details that we'll, we'll blast out, okay? So and last thing uh, is community groups are restarting. Uh, they're starting on September 3rd. Thir September 3rd, is that the Sunday? Okay, um, so the, the week after next. So, uh, man, we have nine new families who've already told us they wanna join community groups. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, <laughs> if you wanna lead a community group, we have a whole community group worth of people who wanna join community <laughs> groups, So, uh, which is awesome. We're so excited to have you guys with us. And so it's gonna be a fun time. It's always fun to get uh, started back up. Like Amy said, that, that is the life of the church. That's where um, the church family is together week to week, and it's a really great time as we... Uh, break bread together and um, just learn about each other's lives and pray for one another and and study the word of God together. So hope you'll hope you'll jump in on that. So, all right. <clears throat> well, back into uh, Ephesians we go here. Uh, this New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul is it is split into two parts. The beginning of the book through chapter three is gospel doctrine. The back half um, is gospel culture. Right? It's it's how you live out the gospel for individuals, families and churches who are doing life together in Christ. And so uh, we are in that second half of the letter. It's very instructive. 
Um, and for a few weeks now, we've been in this discussion on the process of change or transformation as Christians. Uh, Paul explains it with the language of um, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And today we're going to wrap that discussion up uh, by talking about a general, just a general rule for Christian living that if, if applied, uh, will really become this ongoing means of maturation as a believer. So with that, let's go ahead and let's not waste any time here. Let's Read our passage, and then we'll pray. Uh, Ephesians 5, we're picking it back up again in verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are God. And for those two things, we are incredibly grateful that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, your inerrant and sufficient written word, and, and most importantly of all, your incarnate word, your son, Jesus. God, thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you promised to be for us in and through Christ Jesus, our savior, our Lord, the true lover of our souls, the author and perfecter of our faith. This morning, Lord, as we continue in our discussion on putting off the old self and putting on the new self, would, would you help us to grasp the importance of the, just the total shift that's meant to happen in our lives in relation to every single category and help us to assess ourselves in view of this truth without feeling crushed. God, help us to grasp the weight of our finitude and the importance of growing ever more intentional with how we're spending our limited time in this world <clears throat> where we all, I trust, all of us in this room, desire to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant when we stand before you, but we need you to do that work of faithfulness in us. Alone, we are simply unable. The work of our sanctification is impossible for us without your spirit and your power being progressively worked in us for your glory. So would you do that in us, Lord? Please fulfill the good resolves that we have for change and growth and maturity. And now help me, God, to be faithful in the presentation of this passage for the upbuilding of this body of believers, these men and women who are here this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, well, this is our fourth week discussing uh, the concept of the new self. And each of these weeks, I have begun by reminding you of a foundational truth without which you cannot effectively apply the instructions that the Apostle Paul lays out in this second half of Ephesians. And so I'm, I'm gonna do that one more time here, as plainly as I can. Um, back in Ephesians chapter two, Paul makes it clear that prior to the new birth, right, each and every one of us are dead in our trespasses and sins, and thus we are unable 
to genuinely obey and please God. So um, this is important for you to know. Before you ever commit to do anything or go anywhere on the path of spiritual growth, the Bible says you actually need something done for you. You need something done for you first, okay? Um, You need to be made new. You have a heart of stone, and you need to be given a heart of flesh. You have been born of water, but you need to be born of the Spirit. You are dead, and you need to be made alive. You are spiritually blind, and you need to be able to see, okay? You need the Holy Spirit to regenerate you, to quicken you, to wake you up to the realities of the gospel, okay? I say you, I mean... Me, too, all of us, we all need this. And so um, it's been, man, we're a gospel-centered church. Um, believe the gospel is one of the big parts of our vision statement. And so, man, you've heard this gospel already this morning. But let me just tell you what it is explicitly again. This is the gospel. God made you in his image to live for his glory. And because of that, Regardless of of how you may feel or regardless of things that may have been said to you or about you, to the contrary, um, you inherently have an incredibly high value. You do. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are precious to God. But unfortunately, rather than acknowledging that, And living in the realm of God's good design and and blessing, you actually rejected him and and tried to forge your own path and make your own decisions about how to live. That's that's called sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. Okay. A lot of lot of decisions in that, but that's the kind of the big idea of sin. And and sin is is not no big deal. Okay. Sin, if you're trying to put together a picture of of what sin really is and the weight of it, um, sin is like cosmic treason, right? It's it's rebellion against your God-given purpose. And so the Bible tells us that the wage for sin is death, okay? Not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from the goodness of of God. And and that's what we all deserve. That's what we all as sinners, that's what we all deserve. The Bible also tells us that um, th- there's no possible way for us to reverse course and change our trajectory on our own or in our own strength. I mean, even if we were to learn about sin and we were then to try to, you know, start doing some good uh, in order to kind of balance out the scales, that's really of no use, Scripture says. Our sin is, it's simply too costly. It's too costly. And God is too just to just overlook it. Okay. But here's the good news. God is in his great love for us, made another way to reconcile this this terrible dilemma. It it is a terrible dilemma, isn't it? If you're really 
interacting with this. It's a terrible dilemma, but God has made a way to reconcile it. Here's how he reconciled it. He sent his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life on our behalf and to absorb our punishment by dying an atoning death in our place so that his perfect righteousness, Jesus' perfect righteousness could be credited to our account and all of our sin, past, present, and future, could be nailed to the cross, forgiven, and wiped away. And to prove that he was capable of actually pulling all that off, Jesus, after being killed, he came back to life three days later. He rose from the grave, defeating death and offering to us the opportunity to do the same and to have a restored relationship with God as we were originally intended to have, okay? And, and, and all, of, all of that, okay, all, all that's required on our part is faith, faith, okay? That is acknowledgement that you have nothing of merit to offer to God to save yourself, but that Jesus has everything. Jesus has everything. And if you will come humbly and bring your nothing, he will gladly and graciously fill up your nothing with his everything. Okay, so that you can be redeemed and begin living an entirely new life with an entirely new identity as a Christian, a son or daughter of God, filled with the spirit of God and empowered to walk in the will of God for the glory of God. Okay, yeah, that's the right response, Ron. Thank you for always reminding us. Okay, and so all of that, okay, that is the, that's the prerequisite for applying our passage today, okay? Um, new birth that has led you to put all of your trust in that gospel. Okay, that's the prerequisite. Without that, the things I'm going to say next, I, uh, I won't say that they're of no use to you. I'll just say um, you trying to do them is futile, okay? Because Trying to live out the commands of Scripture without Jesus, yeah, you're shaking your head, right? Yeah, okay, like, so we know that, right? So you trying to live out the commands of Scripture without Jesus, first of all, it, it won't earn you anything. It won't earn you anything, and eventually you're going to become very frustrated because you're not going to have the spiritual power that you need to follow through and see lasting change in your life, okay? Um, as Christians, you know, this relationship between grace and, and works, right? We, we don't obey scripture to earn the love and acceptance of God. We have already been loved and accepted by God in Christ, and that position of love and acceptance, that becomes the motivation and the fuel for obedience in the Christian life, 
Now, with that said, hopefully you understand, uh, hopefully this is, is logical to you. Um, the gospel is not a license to live now however we want. <laughs> the Christian life is not, well, I'm forgiven, so who cares how I live? No, the message of the gospel is so good Christians are to say, how could I possibly know what Jesus has done for me and continue on living in sin and and not thinking about uh, how I could live my life to please God, right? You know, last week we said it this way. We said, um, embracing God as father involves the the grateful realigning of our lives with his good design. And last week, we we saw that Paul took that principle and he applied it specifically to the topic of sex, okay? But in our passage this week, sorry, uh, Paul's essentially saying, he's jumping from there, and he's saying, um, what I told you about redeeming sex in light of the gospel, um, now do that, with everything else. Do that same thing with everything else. This, this is not a shift in, in just one area of life. This is a paradigm shift for all of life. You understand what I mean by a paradigm shift? A, a paradigm shift is, is a shift so huge, it changes how you view everything else in light of it. Okay. Going from being, for example, going from being a dependent child to being an independent adult is a, is a paradigm shift. That's, that's an example of a paradigm shift. You move, when you go from being a child to an adult, you move from going to the pantry to eat food that supposedly just shows up there and is free um, to having to go to the grocery store and buy food with money that you worked to earn, <laughs> okay? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, right? Um, that's one example. Going from being single to being married is also a paradigm shift. You go from being, when you go from being single to being married, um, you go from being very inevitably self-focused and thinking you're doing a pretty good job at this life thing, um, to having to consider the thoughts and the needs and the feelings of another person all the time, and you realize that maybe you're not as great as you once imagined, right? It's a huge shift, right? Well, um, in a similar way, when your eyes are opened to the gospel, how you see and interact with everything in your life is meant to change, right? Like, if you believe that Jesus is God, you realize the, the, how big that statement is? Not that, like, Jesus is like a, you know, like a, a magic fairy who kind of, like, tries to make things go good for you or whatever on this side of eternity. Like, no, like, Jesus is God. If you believe Jesus is God, that he lived and died for you and that he truly rose from the grave... That changes things radically. So in verses 15 and 16, where where Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That that Greek word that renders um, making the best use of, that could actually be translated, and some translations it is, redeem or purchase, like buy back. He's saying that nothing in your life is off limits to God. It all needs to be reconsidered in light of Christ. It all needs to be redeemed, brought back into alignment. The new goal for people who are new in Jesus is to live every minute of every day to glorify God. All right, so let's pray and go home because that's easy, right? No. <laughs> no. Uh, so, so this is the overarching point in your notes this morning. A gospel-centered worldview is one that it naturally breeds an ever-growing intentionality in daily life, okay? A gospel-centered worldview is one that naturally breeds an ever-growing intentionality in daily life. I don't know about you, but man, if, if I'm honest with you, my life still has areas that need increased intentionality. Okay, um, the best synonym uh, for intentionality is meaning making. Meaning making. So I'm I'm saying there are still aspects of my life that need to be more infused with gospel meaning. I need to get it more. I need to get the gospel more about some things. Because I'm not living every single minute of every day perfectly for God's glory yet. As much as I want to, I'm not there. I haven't arrived. But the Bible seems to say, this should not drive us down into despair or despondency. It should actually drive us to keep fighting, keep learning, Keep growing, keep pressing on towards the goal of Christ's likeness, knowing that one day, praise God, he will return and complete this process of sanctification in us, right? But in the time being, we're not to kick our feet up and wait for that. We're to keep working at it, okay? We're to keep working at it, considering things like, how can I be more intentional in my time with the Lord, my Bible reading and and prayer, family worship, or with my family, or with my spouse, and my, and my parenting, and my work, and my free time, right? And I think from our text, we can draw out three reasons why. Three reasons why the gospel should be generating this ever-growing intentionality in our lives. So let's talk about them uh, one at a time here. We've already alluded to the first one, but let's, um, let's say a little more clearly The first thing is this, all of life has been designed by and is lived in the presence of God, okay? All of life has been designed by and is lived in the presence of God. You see, as Christians, we don't believe that we are the ones ultimately ascribing our own meaning to life. That's that's not our place, okay? Um, Our job is not to manufacture meaning in life, but to draw it out, to to excavate it, if you will. Um, God is the one who assigns meaning to every facet of existence. Nothing 
is for nothing. Nothing's for nothing. God is all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful. And so he did not just sling rogue molecules out there to just see what they would do, like a divine science experiment, as if he could somehow be surprised by the, the layout or the dynamics of the outcome of the universe. No. He is in sovereign control of every detail from the macro level down to the micro level. We see this in the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. God is very intentional and very meticulous as he's speaking everything into existence. And the world that that God placed man into is perfectly coherent and perfectly cohesive from the start, okay? Yes, he tells man to have dominion over and cultivate and care well for what has been created, but the meaning behind it all is inalterable. It's, it's baked in, okay? The meaning is baked in. Proverbs 16, four says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So, so this verse is saying, even the things that come as a result of sin, right? That God's not the author of sin, right? But, but he still has a design for and has meaning and, and purpose behind. Romans 8 tells us that, that God works all things. That means all things, all-encompassing, all things. He works all things together for good for those who love him. So, This is not rocket science, guys. Um, If God has meaning and purpose in all things, what should we do? (laughs) We should desire to discern what his meaning is and then live in step with it, okay? Um, If God has a design for and a deep meaning behind marriage, we should wanna know what it is and walk in wisdom and understanding of his will for it. If God has a design for and meaning behind the provision that he gives to us, we should want to know what it is so that we can be good stewards of it. If God has a, if God even has a design for and, and a meaning in the struggles and the sufferings that we face in this life, we want to understand that so that we can live faithfully in them and, and not believe a lie, right? That God is aloof or detached from what we're experiencing. We want to live increasingly intentional lives because God has been intentional in his design for all of life, okay? And not only that, but as Christians, we, we are not mere uh, deists who, who believe in a, a distant God who has you know, set all things in motion, but who is otherwise unconcerned with what goes on with us. We, as Christians... We believe in an intensely personal God, an intensely personal God who who the Bible says is actually near to all who call on him, who who really actually he, he knows more about us than we even know about ourselves, who though he is the unfathomably majestic creator God seated in the heavens, high above every earthly rule and authority, he actually desires an intimate relationship with each one of us. And we will, in the end, 
the scriptures say, give an account to him for what we did with those incredibly important truths, right? The reality is, is that while we cannot see him, we are living every second of our lives in the presence of God. And scripture teaches that we are supposed to exist in this tension of the simultaneous comfort and fear that this generates, right? Romans eleven twenty two captures this. It says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Note the kindness and the severity of God. On one hand, he is caring and kind to us. He's a perfect father, right? That's the character of God. But we dare not forget that he's also the just judge whose throne we will all stand in judgment before and that his kindness and his patience is not leniency. God's kindness and patience is not leniency. It's meant to lead us to repentance, okay? The late R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, uh, he said all I said in one line. So he said, um, the, the big idea of the Christian life is to live quorum Deo, in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Quorum Deo is a Latin phrase that means before the face of God, right? And so hopefully you see why, as Sproul said, this is the big idea of the Christian life, as well as what we've said this morning. It's the first reason that we should be striving to be ever more intentional in how we live from day to day, because all of life has been designed by God. And all of life is lived in the presence of God. Now, here's the second reason we see clearly in our text. Our time is indeterminately limited and highly valuable. Okay, now I'm really sorry. I dug deep into my thesaurus and I tried not to use that 15-letter word, but um, here's why I did that, okay? Um, Indeterminate means not able to be determined, okay? And the scriptures teach us that we are finite, That is, our our time here is limited. But while we know that our time in this life is limited, we don't know how limited it is, right? I I turned 34 years old today. My life could be up at 34 in one day or 35 or 85. I don't know. And I can't find out the extent of my time in this life, and you can't either, right? God has chosen to make this a mystery that even modern science can't crack. There's just too much variability, right? We should eat good. (laughs) We should stay in shape, right? We should do all all those things. We should do our stretches and all all those things, right? Take your vitamins, you know? But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, you could walk out in the parking lot and get hit by a car, right? There's too much variability. Anything can happen, right? I'm seeing the news in the summertime every summer. It's like someone dies because like a brain-eating amoeba or something, you know? Like there's big things that can kill you and there's little things that can kill you. We, we have no idea 
when the end is coming. The end of the cliff is coming, but we don't know when that is. And so this reason alone should cause us to give great consideration to what we do with our time. While people tend to move from day to day, not really thinking about you know, how much gas they have left in the tank, so to speak, at some point, this life is going to sputter to a stop. So really, just like no wise person spends their money freely without concern for how much of it they have left for the things that matter most, so too wise Christians will frequently assess the use of their time so that they're not spending it aimlessly or or flippantly. James 4.14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Anyone who has you know, lost a loved one knows how that feels, don't we? Feels like they were just here. And it felt like we had so much time with them. And yet in hindsight, it was so short. And now somehow it's over. This is the difficult nature of the brevity of this life, and more specifically, of the time that we have in this life. So that's the first part of this point. Our time is indeterminately limited, but also it's highly valuable. Our time is not only limited, but it's, it's highly valuable. You know, whenever I get up here, tell our church that we need more kids volunteers, right? We need more kids volunteers. I'm just kidding, okay. <laughs> If you want to volunteer your kids, we'd appreciate that. But whenever I get up to say that, okay, which I do say relatively frequently because <laughs> we keep having more kids, and our church is, is a huge percentage of kids, you know, it's like one-third kids. So anyway, I usually say when we ask for more kids ministry volunteers, I usually say that if you will spend, if you'll commit to spend one and a half to two hours a month in our kids' ministry classes, you could actually be a part of making an eternal impact in the lives of our kids. That's true. That's not like just a, you know, a fancy vision thing I came up with to really like compel and and manipulate people. That is true. True. We're we're not babysitting your kids over there. We're teaching them the gospel. We're teaching them about God's word. But man, that same thing is true across the board in our lives. Church, the Lord has graciously called us to himself, as David was saying this in the Offering talk, right? Like God has given us the privilege to engage in his redemptive mission with him. He calls us ambassadors and priests and missionaries for Christ to the people who are in our lives. What we do with our time can change the course of people's eternity. Do you know that? You think about that? Dads, you choosing to read the Bible and pray with your kids for 20 minutes a night, that could change where your kids spend eternity. 
I would say there's a high probability that it will, okay? Church, our, our willingness to invite a neighbor or, or a coworker to church or, or over for dinner one night in order to share the gospel, that, that has implications, the gravity of which could be heaven or hell for that person, So that time that you invest, if your kids come to Christ or your coworker comes to Christ, it's priceless. You can't put a price on that. Our time is, is that highly valuable. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable to this effect to his disciples to explain the importance of, of what they did with the resources that he gave to them. He says, for it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. If you've been in church long, then you, you probably know the rest of this parable, right? The servant with five talents, he invests them and he winds up with 10 talents, the one with two talents invests them and winds up with four talents. And when the master returns, he says to both of those servants, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But the servant who had one talent, what's he do? He buries it. He's, he squanders it, right, by doing nothing with it. And the master is furious, he punishes that servant. The master is meant to represent Jesus. And so we are to consider the fact that if we claim to be Jesus' disciples, our time does not really belong to us. Our time doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to him. And he has entrusted it to us to invest according to his teaching. And from the parable of the talents, it would seem that Regardless of how much of it we get, the worst thing that we could do with the incredible resource that is time is wasted. Jeremy Taylor, 15th century Anglican bishop, said, God hath given to man a short time here upon earth, and yet upon this short time, eternity depends. So just a question for assessment for all of us, for myself even. If tonight... Was it for you? Like if tonight your time was up, it's time for you to go stand before Christ. How would you feel about the account that you would have to give of your time? Friends, I, I try not to be a preacher who uses fear unnecessarily to manipulate people. That's, uh, I don't do that, okay? But when it comes to this matter, I think fear is an appropriate feeling, okay? Um, I would rather you feel fear today and be able to adjust course and begin using your time appropriately. I'd rather that than for you to get to the point of being too late and experience the fear of knowing that you're about to go stand before God having wasted your life. I don't want that for you. Part of my job as your pastor, if I'm your pastor, is to prepare you for that moment. 
to prepare you to stand before God faithful, okay? So I say our time is indeterminately limited and highly valuable. We can't afford to knowingly waste it. We should be striving to grow in intentionality with it. Um, As our text says, we're to make the best possible use of it. Okay, but the final reason we see in our text that we should be growing ever more intentional in our lives is that uh, we've been given clear instruction and the perfect helper. We've been given clear instruction and the perfect helper. Verse 18, picking it back up there, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in these verses, um, Paul gives us a positive and a negative instruction, and he leads with the negative. So let's address that first here. When Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, (laughs) let me tell you what he definitely means. Don't get drunk with wine. (laughs) Don't get drunk. So, um, yeah, if, if you're a Christian, this is not hard to understand, even if you're not a Christian, but this is really laser clear. If, if you have a problem with abusing alcohol, then you need to stop that. You need to stop doing that. And I understand alcohol can be an addictive substance for some, and so you, you may even need some help with that. You may need some accountability with that. That's okay. That's okay. Get the help you need and stop getting drunk, okay? You should be trusting Jesus with the stresses of your life, not Jack Daniels, okay? But let me also say that there are a lot of things that people get drunk on other than alcohol, okay? Uh, things they fill their lives with to medicate their problems instead of being filled with the Spirit. Some people fill themselves and stay drunk on shopping. Okay. Some people fill themselves and stay drunk on food, overeating. This has a word in the Bible. It's called gluttony. Okay. Uh, some people fill themselves and stay drunk on trash TV shows and romance novels. Okay, Um, some people fill themselves and stay drunk on endless social media feeds. Some people fill themselves and stay drunk on the fantasy worlds of video games or pornography, okay? And in the same way, that overconsumption of alcohol will numb us, so too these things will numb us. And not actually help us deal with our lives and live them more intentionally, but actually these things just, what they do is they, they make us care less about the things going on in our lives, okay? This passage um, is, is, tells us the exact opposite, right? That we should be doing the, the exact opposite of that. So dear Christian, don't, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on wine or anything else, Okay? because that's counterproductive to the intentionality that we should be growing in. Instead of being drunk on worldly things, we are to stay filled up, our text says, filled up with the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. We discussed the need 
for ongoing filling earlier in our series. So I'm not gonna get into that dynamic again here, but the reality is if you want to grow in spirit-led intentionality, this text gives us a great example of how the word of God in general gives us clear instruction for what we are to be doing, okay? Paul's saying, whereas drunkenness is the world's debaucherous, empty way of, of merriment, right? God has a better and much more substantive way, singing together about his promises, stirring ourselves up with thankfulness for his grace in our lives, encouraging one another with the truths of his word, okay? But again, I would say just as there is more than one thing that you can get drunk on, there's also more than one thing that you can do to be filled up by the Spirit, okay? We're filled with the Spirit when we pray, when we study God's word, when we gather in community, when we listen to gospel preaching, when we're living on mission and, and so on and, and so forth, okay? My point is, if you want to grow in intentionality in your life as a Christian, the Bible tells you what to do. <laughs> wow, imagine that. <laughs> the Bible tells you what to do. God has made 95% of his will laser clear. He's laid it out comprehensively in his word. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with our God? So the prophet Micah is saying, God has not made it hard for us to know what we're to be doing with the vast majority of life categories. Read the Bible. It's in there. You want to be a more intentional parent? The Bible talks about that. More intentional in your prayers? The Bible talks about that. More intentional as a disciple maker? The Bible talks about that. The list goes on. Now, I'm not talking to anybody specifically, because, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, but uh, I'm pretty sure, based on the statistics, some of y'all are still not reading your Bible. You're still not reading your Bible. Let me tell you something about that. I'm not here to come down hard on you, okay? But your growth in intentionality as a believer is predicated on your grasp of God's word. Your growth in intentionality as a believer is predicated on your grasp of God's word. And man, for crying out loud here, countless godly saints before us have died. They have given their lives so that you could hold the Bible in your hand freely. Okay. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, they're reading the Bible, but they're reading the Bible under threat of persecution for doing so. Right? And yet a lot of us would rather watch TikTok. Right? What a shame. What a shame. It shouldn't be that way, should it? But let me get off that tangent to close with the fact that we not only have clear instruction, we also have the perfect helper, okay? 
The Holy Spirit, I have to remind people of this sometimes, the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not like Star Wars, okay? It's, he's a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. And as we do things that, that bolster his influence in our lives, like being in the word, he comes to assist us by bringing to mind the truths that we most need to remember at the moments when we most need to remember them. It's pretty helpful. Jesus says that in John 14. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So based on this truth, I would say that the Holy Spirit is our greatest resource for growing in greater intentionality as Christians. He's our greatest resource. If you're a believer, I'm willing to bet that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit all the time. If you're a believer, I bet you're hearing from the Holy Spirit all the time. If you read the Bible, as you come across a convicting passage like this one, right? Uh, he's, he's the one who's there doing that gentle convicting, telling you, you need to apply this to yourself. You need to apply this to yourself in this way. If you're dealing with some kind of a you know, sinful thought, whether it's like a, a, a bitter thought or, a, or maybe a lustful thought, right? He's there, isn't he? There he is. He says things like, you don't need to be thinking like that. You don't need to be dwelling on that. Focus your attention on godly things, right? When you think, oh, I'm too busy to read the Bible today, there he is. Sure about that? Sure about that? <laughs> sure about that? You think skipping time with the Lord is wise? Or when you think, oh, I'm too tired to go to church today, or man, I have too much on my plate, or community group, or discipleship ministry, the Spirit doesn't let you off easy, does he? <laughs> no, he convicts our hearts he convicts our hearts, and in order to justify ourselves, if we want to justify ourselves to not do what's right, we have to silence him, don't we? If you're in a habit of overeating or drinking too much or spending money that you don't have, he's there to tell you, you don't need another drink. You don't need another snack. You don't need another Amazon purchase, right? If you're wrongly finding your identity in your work or in your family or in your physical appearance, he says, is that thing really the most important thing in your life? Is that the thing? Are you looking to Jesus for fulfillment? Because that thing seems like an idol for you, right? We could go on. You guys hear the spirit like that? Thought so. If you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in you. And as a fully authoritative member of the Trinity, he speaks to us according to the truths of God's word, convicting us of sin and leading us in righteousness. He's the perfect 
helper in conjunction with the clear instruction that we have in the Bible for how to live intentionally with the time that we've been given. Now, uh, as we close, I I just want to say, I know this can be a really challenging sermon, okay? Um, Because if you're like me, man, you start looking at your life critically and you're thinking about how far you still have to go. You're like, great, pastor. So just the application is be perfect in everything. You're like, well, the Bible does say we should strive for that. Um, But anyway, you know, on one hand, while it's probably true that you have a long way to go, we all continue to have work to do and the level of our intentionality with any number of aspects in our lives. Proverbs 20, verse nine says, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I'm clean from my sin. Anybody ready to raise their hand on that? I'll give you the microphone. Uh, Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I read these two scriptures not to comfort you in your sin, not to comfort you in your sin, or to ease your conscience about your lack of maturity in some area where you should be much further along, but rather to encourage you, to encourage you that if you realize your neediness and your relative lack of maturity, you're in good company. And it's a a sign of spiritual health to be critical of ourselves for the sake of spiritual growth. It's just really important to remember that the gospel of grace guards us from condemnation and gives us the hope that we need to push forward, okay? Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says in 2 Thessalonians, he says, to this end, we always pray for you. I love this. That our God may make you worthy of his calling, and get this, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether at the end of this sermon, you you know, man, I've got like one or two areas, man, I, I really need to grow that just stick out like a sore thumb. Or if you feel like every single area of your life needs an overhaul, that's a good thing. It means you're listening to the spirit, okay? So press on, brother or sister, Press on, make it your own because Christ Jesus has already made you his own. And he gives the grace necessary to fulfill our good resolves for greater gospel intentionality. And don't miss this part. He does it by his power. He does it by his power so that he gets the glory for our growth. So let's do this. Let's finish today by taking the Lord's Supper in order to remind ourselves of the Lord's death 
on our behalf, okay? On one hand, this is a reminder that we are already justified by the blood of Christ. And since our faith is in him and his atoning work on the cross, though we are sinners, we are eternally safe from the wrath of God, amen? But on the other hand, this is a reminder of the great cost that was paid for us to be adopted and to be made new. So while we continue to wait for our final redemption, we are to be vigilant and we are to be diligent to make the best use of our blood-bought lives on this side of eternity, okay? One last thing before I pray. Let me just remind you that the bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of Christ, communion, okay? This is a meal for sinners. This is a meal for sinners who know that they're sinners, okay? This is a meal for sinners who know that they're sinners and who are living a life of repentance. That's who this is for. So if you believe that, then you're welcome to join us at the Lord's table in just a moment. If you don't believe that, if you, don't, if you know that, that you don't fully believe that Jesus is Savior and, and Lord and, and God, man, feel free. This is permission from the pastor. Feel free to just stay seated, okay? There's no judgment. Actually, I have a ton of respect for people who know that they're not yet Christians and who wait to take the Lord's Supper until they're sure that Jesus is their Lord. If you're not sure about that, sit tight. That's okay. If you wanna talk after service, we'd love to talk with you about any questions you might have about the gospel. If you are in need of prayer, I'll be up here. I think Jason Coe, our other elder who's here today, will be up here for prayer. We'd love to pray for you, okay? Um, there's, no, there's no magic in the elements of the Lord's Supper. It's symbolic. It's symbolic. It's just an ongoing reminder of the gospel that Jesus gives to us as an ordinance, okay? So with that, I'm gonna pray, and then we'll take the supper. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, your word is, it's not easy. It's challenging, but it's true. And Father, I, I pray that you would help us um, today after a message like this that honestly is very convicting. It's very convicting, Lord, for me to preach such a message from your word. So help me, even God, help me with my intentionality and the way that I live my life from day to day. Help me to re redeem the time. Help me to buy back the time. Help me to understand that the days are evil and that I should be making the best use of every moment for your glory. Help us all to do that, God. Help us to be a church that understands that concept. And Lord, thank you most of all for Jesus, who's the one who makes that even possible. Thank you for the blood that he shed for our sin on the cross. Thank you that we are now able to be counted righteous because of him. It's not our righteousness, but it's his. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.